We're going to continue in this sermon series we've been studying for a while now called In Real Life or IRL. I don't know um, what your experience has been. IRL has been a completely different uh, series for Family Bible Church. One in one way because it was all things that were submitted, questions and concerns, ideas, struggles in our real life that we wanted to talk about scripturally, uh, submitted by you guys. So we didn't make any of these things up. We didn't kind of uh, cherry pick our favorite ones. We went through everything that was submitted. And it's been a bit of a run. But this week, whether you like it or not, and maybe you do, maybe you don't, this is the final week in IRL. So uh, praise God. There's something great about finishing, uh, for me anyway. I don't know if it's true for you. It's always good to start, always good to finish. This is, um, the idea is that we're starting conversations and then continuing them in our lives, other places, family groups, uh, Bible studies around the kitchen table, dining room table, maybe lunch today after you leave service. Or maybe a conversation over the backyard fence with a neighbor. Um, some things that we've been thinking about. How does this really work? What does the Bible truly say? And uh, allowing the scripture to inform us rather than always running around with our own um, thoughts, predispositions, or ideas. This final week, I just want to share with you a scripture and then we're going to pray and we're going to get right into the topic this week. <clears throat> this is from uh, John 13. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, a person who has, been ba- has, has had a bath only needs his feet to be washed. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, although not every one of you, because he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not every one was clean. When he had finished washing his feet, he put on his clothes, and he reclined again at the table. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked. Let's pray together. Father God, for uh, this morning and for the opportunity we have to gather together in your name and to worship you, we give you thanks and praise. We give you uh, praise because we are um, free, free to worship you anytime, anywhere we want. Um, and that is uh, our prerogative, our, our uh, um, uh, compassion, our, our desire to do that. Um, Father, and we just give you uh, thanks that we choose uh, to worship you openly. Uh, Father, for uh, all the things that are represented in the room uh, this size with the folks here, uh, we trust to you. We bring them now before your feet. We pray that you would help us to lay down the stuff that right now maybe is distracting us, and we would attend our minds and our hearts to you, that we would focus on you and what you'd have us to know and to learn today. Father, for uh, the work you have done and will continue to do uh, through IRL and through Family Bible Church and through the churches in the community and the world, we give you thanks and praise We thank you that you are a God who does not quit. May you uh, impart us with your wisdom today as we expound your word. May you give us eyes to see and ears to hear the truth that we need to apply to our lives and then the courage to apply it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So this final week in the uh, the sermon series, IRL, ask the question. I'm going to read them to you. Actually, if you've got an engagement sheet, they're written on the back. So hopefully you grabbed one of those. Um, But here are the three questions. What should I do when someone I trust, pastors, parents, teachers, etc., hurts me or breaks that trust? The second question was, how can I not rely so heavily on those folks? And then the third Where do I find hope when I realize that I've hurt someone else who trusted me? Those are the three questions this week. The question about what happens when leaders fail, what happens when those we respect fail, what happens when those we look up to fail us or hurt us or others. How are we called to respond to that? We're going to get our answers today, uh, or I guess our framework from this, from a letter that uh, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Um, you remember Paul was a missionary and he would go about planting many churches and it was a great exciting thing people would come to hear the gospel they would believe the gospel be filled with the Holy Spirit and then be following Jesus and then Paul would go on and start another church somewhere else but invariably Paul had to come back and this letter to 1 Corinthians is a letter back to the church in Corinth to correct them in their error to help them to find their way back to the path that he preached to them Because like us, so many of them are prone to error. They're prone to failing one another and um, being disappointed in one another and with one another as well. And so uh, this letter we're going to look at today, um, you know, kind of is framed in that issue. And by the way, not just one issue, if you've read 1 Corinthians, framed in many issues. And then unless you think that, you know, that was enough, Paul had to write another letter correcting them even further um, later on. So this is an ongoing process of refinement in following Jesus. So the question is, what should we do and what should our attitudes be whenever people around us fail? Um, I'm sure that if you're alive, people have disappointed you or failed you. And I bet if you're alive, uh, you have disappointed or failed other people people. So I'm going to give you some words of encouragement this morning to think about, to talk about, and discuss. We're going to start off in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, and so I have that up here. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 9, that's on page 794. I'll give you a second to get there. All right. Like I said, this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and he's instructing them, encouraging them um, to be faithful, to, to, uh, to continue the good work, to continue to pursue Christ as they had proclaimed and believed on faith. Here it is, verse 1 of chapter 3. Um, Brothers, I could not address you as, spiritually, as spiritual, but rather as worldly, mere infants in Christ. Um, I gave you milk, not food, because you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, Paul says, you are still not ready, yet uh, you are still worldly, because there is jealousy and quarreling among you, Are you not being worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? Because when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, are you not being mere men? What after all is Apollos and what after all is Paul? They're only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. And then he goes on. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But Paul writes to this church that it begins to be divided over who the leadership is or who it should be. And they begin to say, well, I'm, I'm after this guy, and I'm after that guy. And Paul's writing back, kind of saying, no, this is not what it should be at all. Um, it's kind of easy here uh, to make Apollos the bad guy. If you like the Apostle Paul, you might read this and go, who is this Apollos guy, and why is he causing trouble amongst the believers? 
but it seems that they were both faithful servants doing what God had called them to do. If you're ever in doubt that um, maybe we, aren't, we haven't reached the maturity that we're called to meet or reach in Christ, if you ever doubt it yourself in your life, if you think, you know, no one's really disappointed me before. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I don't really have that kind of a hang up. The Bible gives us two clear signs that we're functioning in our flesh and not functioning in the spirit. Now listen right there in verse 3. Because since there is jealousy and quarreling, are you not being worldly? Or the way he says it, which I love is, are you not being mere humans? Paul kind of lays out for the church that as believers in Christ, we are called um, to see beyond that, uh, to look for more than our mere humanity, to, to, to believe in an ex- ex- uh, in a situation, in a structure, in an a, uh, opportunity or, or an experience that, that beyond all the immediacy of what's happening, that there is God who is working, doing something. And so Paul chastises the church and he says, when you have quarreling and strife among you, are you not being fleshly, not of God, not spiritual, not faithful, the idea of jealousy isn't just the idea. I always think of jealousy as like being like, you have what I don't. Or like, you know, like, um, it's almost like covetousness. That's how I think of jealousy a lot, you know. But um, jealousy in its kind of more essential form is just this kind of uh, constant rivalry. It, it means to burn internally because you're, you're frustrated that someone else is experiencing something you you're you're jealous it's a you problem it's not a them problem but so many of us we make it a them problem well yeah there's jealousy among us because they aren't doing that right or they shouldn't be doing it or or something should be different and and we burn inside is what the scriptures say maybe uh you're like me um whenever that my ears get hot do your ears ever get hot (laughs) whenever i was a kid and i'm (laughs) The cartoons there, this theme would come out, you know. That's jealousy. Oh, I'm so upset about this. And the danger of jealousy is it can, it can come off like righteousness. You can believe that you're right as you burn inside. But truly, we are only being fleshly or worldly. By the way, uh, and the second thing here is, is um, uh, strife. And this is the idea of quarreling or contentiousness or desire. Uh, the love to debate, the love to disagree, the love to just be, uh, you know. I don't know if you have that issue, but those are two fleshly signs. And I want to say that um, unless we, lest we be too hard on the Corinthians or ourselves, we all start out that way. If you heard what the Apostle Paul, he said, whenever I first met you, I gave you milk, not meat, because you needed milk. And that's okay. We all start in that place. We come out of the world. We're called out of the world. But here he says, and yet you're still there. There's an expectation that quarreling and jealousy would not be signs or markers of our faith in Christ, let alone in our gatherings. Paul says we're called to be more than our mere humanity. He says, whenever you say, I follow, and you would think, this is funny if you read this, but he says, um, are you not being mere men? In verse 4, when one says, I follow Paul, and the other, I follow Apollos, are you not merely men? Are you not merely people? Are you not working in the flesh? And this, I'll say this, man, this is a tough thing for leaders, right? Because if you're Paul, you're Apollos, it is easy to be like, right. That, that, that guy who says, or that lady who says, I'm following Paul is right. 
And, and Paul later on is going to say, I'm the father of your faith. And he could say, yeah, that's right. You, you should be following me. Actually, the Bible says here, it's interesting, it says, I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. It's a very close, you know, this is my, my man. This is my woman. This is who I claim that I'm about. Unless we would believe this would be a first century problem alone, right now we have that, I feel like right now in the church, we have a whole lot of tribalism, right? We have a whole lot of picking out who our, leader, our leaders are. Yeah, well, you know, I don't follow that leader, I follow this leader. And there's these clans of people, you know, and they're actually like, like globally right now. Um, I, I listen to this speaker, but not that speaker. I associate with these people, not those people. And we're constantly saying, I, have, um, I am of this person, just like the Corinthian church. And Paul says, all this strife and, and jealousy is signs of immaturity, not spiritual maturity, not what we're called to. We're being merely fleshly. I started to say the, the tough thing about this for leaders is it's easy to affirm that and say, yeah, that's right. And you, you garner a following. You should choose. That's not what Paul says. He writes back and he says, after all, in verse 5, what is Apollos? What is Paul? <laughs> Again, he actually said, what is Apollos? And even more, what is Paul? He doesn't just say, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Like, Apollos is here and Paul is here. He's like, hey, what is Apollos? And what is Paul? Who, who am I that you would begin to identify yourself so closely with me? No. We're only servants, he says. Ones through whom you came to believe as the Lord, listen to the word, had assigned to each his task. Verse 6, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. God made it grow. And see, in their essential call, we need to understand that those that lead us, we had the names earlier, pastors, parents, teachers, other leadership, I'm sure, around you, maybe a, a big brother, big sister, maybe somebody else in your life that you look up to, a mentor, are only people who are called to do their task, and any growth is coming from the Lord. Any result is coming from the Lord. Paul uses this agricultural analogy. I put a seed in the ground, Apollos watered it, but God made the seed grow. God made you grow. And he makes this case. Who are we? Merely servants. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything, but only God is something who makes these things grow. The man who plants, the man who waters have but one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. Verse 9, because we are God's fellow workers, but you are God's field, and you are God's building. There's this realization here, and I, one of the translations I read said we are God's co-workers, but the idea, and when done right and done well, is what those that we respect and look up to do, is they're not there, they're not there to... Um, uh, meet all of our needs or please us in every way. They're there to synergistically work with the work that God is doing in your life. I guess what I'm saying is I feel like sometimes that w we fail on our flesh because we're expecting more than God intends from those folks. I was thinking in my, my life, the people who have been so impactful to me it, have been those who have come alongside and, and just worked 
in that perfect moment with what God was already doing because he's the one doing the work. Co-workers is too flippant of a word, honestly, but I love that idea of synergistic, like synergistically joining what Christ is already doing. And Paul says that's what's been happening in Corinth. I planted and Apollos water, but God has been making this growth. We've just been joining God in his work. And that's what we're called to do. As a matter of fact, don't miss it at the end. He says, um, each will be rewarded according to his purpose, right? The man who plants, the man who waters have one purpose, right? They're one-hit wonders, but each will be rewarded according to his own work, his own labor. Which brings us to our second point then. So, um, looking beyond mere humanity into the bigger picture of what God is doing in our lives, whether we agree or disagree, whatever, whether we're hurt or not, we, we try to see through that to Christ. Um, we're called to be faithful. We must be faithful. We're going to push ahead now into 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 7. There's a verse in here that some of you are going to love because you're like, aha, this is it, right? 4, 1 through 7. So then, uh, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. So Paul says we have responsibility. Verse 2 now it is required that those who have been given trust must prove faithful. And I think this is where those really deep hurts come in our lives. Because you go, okay, you've been given trust. You have to prove yourself faithful. And so we should, we should all be faithful to what we're called to do. When I first read that, whenever I was preparing, I thought, that really frightened me. I'm like, so there, how do you do that? Well, those who've been given trust have to prove themselves faithful. Kind of freaked me out. But then if you keep reading, I want you to read in verse 3 with me. Paul, same dude, says, I care very little if I am judged by you or judged by any human court. Indeed, and this blew me away, I don't even judge myself. See, Paul had a lot of responsibility, a lot of leadership. And he said, I'm not that worried about how you judge me or how a court judges me. Matter of fact, I'm not even concerned about how I judge me. We reflect on this idea of how others fail us. Uh, I can't imagine, I can't imagine as you um, grow and mature, you don't recognize how we, I, you fail others. We see it. And here Paul says, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent or does not make me righteous. It doesn't deliver me. It is the Lord who judges me. So I want to add to this sentence that we are called to be faithful under the Lord. Therefore, he says in verse 5, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness, and he will expose the motives of men's hearts. Wait for God to judge. Wait for God to judge. So we must be faithful, but we must be faithful under the Lord. So trying to put together a construct here um, in my mind, it's as if in that moment of failure, uh, we, we should wait, we should see it as uh, uh, under the Lord. And definitely there's this imagery here that everyone in authority is under the Lord's um, sovereignty. 
the word here when it says wait for the Lord to judge is that he will examine. Matter of fact, you heard it there. It's that he will lift the veil. He will remove the shadow. He will expose the heart. It probably depends on how you read that. When I first read that, I'm like, yeah, there's coming a moment whenever everything done in secret is going to be made known, will be found out. Or, or, Or all the things in our heart are going to be poured out and known to everyone else. And that was really kind of discouraging to me. And then I read this um, next verse. At that time, each one will receive his praise from God. What? He said there's things that are done in, in the dark. There's things that are done in our hearts, our hearts' motivations are about as leaders. And they're talking again here about Paul and Apollos in the church in Corinth where they're saying, I'm with this guy and I'm with that guy and I'm following this person, I'm following that person. And he says, there's going to come a moment, you don't need to judge, there's coming a moment where God's going to lay all these things out and it's going to become very clear and then each one's going to receive praise for the work that he did. What does that mean? I think there's a, a, a reverse thing here where it, it means that there are times that we are absolutely convinced that those around us are failing us. We're absolutely convinced that they're doing the wrong thing. But the truth is that in the dark, in the closed doors, in the motivations of their heart, the Lord is saying, you are called to do this, and they're doing that. In other words, there are moments that it looks like leaders are failing and they're being obedient. There are moments where in due time, the motivations of our heart, which is beautiful. Because when we think about this, you being faithful under the Lord, we say, Lord, you're calling me to do this. I'm going to leave the results up to you. I'm going to be obedient in that moment. And there will come a day where righteously you will say, that was obedience. And that's why Paul can say, I don't, I'm not worried about being judged by men. I'm not worried about being judged by courts or even looking in the mirror and judging myself. Because in my heart's motivation in the secret place with God, I am being obedient to what I'm called to do. I'm I'm certainly not saying that everyone is doing that, but he lays out that this is the the, the call. If we're going to aim for something, we should be aiming for being faithful under the Lord, which, by the way, isn't just applicable to leaders, but those who are being led. We are called and being examined by the motive of our heart, of our our obedience and our, our authority under the Lord, and we must be faithful in that way. So this provides a couple of things for us then. Um, I'm going to read on here. Let's see. Oh, I was back in three. Yeah, verse six. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and to Apollos for your benefit. So Paul says, I'm using Apollos and I as an example so that you might learn something, that you might gain something, so that you might learn uh, from us the meaning of the saying, don't go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man against another. The word there is puffed up. His warning is that you might not be puffed up. Because what makes you different or who makes you different from anyone else? What do you receive that you did not, or what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, then why do you boast as though you did not? If you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? In other words, this whole thing is a gift in Christ. And if it was just a gift to us, then how could we ever become proud or haughty because of who we believe is doing a better job of, of, of giving us that gift? Because ultimately it is Christ. What makes you different? Skipping down then to verse 14, the word says, I am not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as dear children. So there's, so there's two things here that Paul says. He says, I'm writing this to instruct you, to give you a framework that you might not become puffed up. 
that you not, might not become arrogant or proud. And then the second thing he's doing is writing a warning so that we might have our minds right. That's in verse 14. So we might have our minds right. I am writing you not to shame you, but to warn you as dear children that we might have our, um, our minds right before the Lord. It's so easy to go from this moment of um, faith in Christ, this moment of believing that everyone around us is failing us. And when we do that, we are not, certainly not seeing the big picture of what God is doing. Verses 16 and 17 then. Therefore, because of these facts, I urge you, Paul says what? To imitate me. That's interesting. For this reason, I am sending with you, uh, to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord, and he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with everything that I have taught in every church. He says, I'm going to send my servant to you that you might imitate me. What do you think Paul's doing? You think he's saying all this stuff about Apollos and, and Paul as a framework, but he's like, but really, you're right about the guys who are saying Paul are the right people. They're on the right path. The, uh, the word here is to, um, to mimic or to pretend. As a matter of fact, if I push ahead here into, um, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, into 1 Corinthians um, 10, 31, you can flip back a few pages there. Oops, that was a whole book. Let's see here. 1 Corinthians 10, the very end, right before 11, uh, 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, because I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they might be saved. So Paul has motivation, and he says this. Therefore, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus, of Christ. Paul's primary concern for the church in Corinth is that they would not get distracted by Paul or Apollos, but they would follow those who are following Christ. As a matter of fact, I dug into this a little bit. This says NASB at the top, but it's not exactly NASB because I loved um, when you dig around a little bit what you find, and, and this is actually in the text. It says, be imitators of me, Paul says, to the degree or to the extent that I am imitating Jesus. That's the call. When, when we, when the danger is that we say, I, I'm, I, I am of this person, that we completely identify with that person, and that's not the point. We should identify to our leadership in as much as they are identifying with Christ, in, in the same degree, to the same level with which they identify with Jesus. Just yesterday, I was um, hanging out with someone uh, who was a very short person. I don't know if you ever hang out with short people, but it's pretty fun, like really short people. And uh, I was hanging out, and... They kept asking questions, um, and I didn't really want to answer, so I asked the question back. And then they asked another question, I asked the question back. And I didn't realize I was doing this, really. And then all of a sudden, they said, stop mocking me. <laughs> and I was like, I'm just saying what you're saying back to you. I'm mimicking you, right? But Paul says that's what we're called to do, to mimic those things that we see, mimic the leadership that we see that is of Christ. To do this, to be fair, you have to know what Jesus' ministry looked like. And that requires reading the scripture, and praying, and, you know, engaging in that conversation, and not functioning in the flesh, which is our normal native place to live. Rather than saying, uh, stop mocking me, don't mock me, Paul's like, mock me, M mimic me, say it this way. As a matter of fact, I would even say that um, 
in this idea of following others to the degree to which we're following Christ if we're upset that we should examine our own lives and ask, are we leading in a way that is worthy of being copied? Are, we, are, are our lives um, being lived in such a way that we, oh, I thought I had that slide in here, that we are, uh, I want to get that, copycats of Christ. Are we living in a way that's worthy of being copied by others? And Paul says, yeah, that's my goal. Paul would also be a guy say, I don't do it perfectly, but in as much as I am imitating Christ, imitate me. This is our model. So I do want to get back now to the, um, this perfect model that we saw. We're going to finish now in uh, John. You can turn there if you want, which is what I read earlier. And this um, becomes Jesus' uh, final act of love. And I want to just talk through this for a moment and then we'll be finished. First of all, in John uh, 13, this is what the word says. It was just before the Passover feast. The Passover feast is that moment that Israel remembers that God delivered his people from slavery and captivity. It's that moment that we, we, we would slaughter a lamb and we would put the blood on the doorpost and we would hide in the house knowing that the Lord would protect us, that we would flee from the coming wrath of God that we would have an opportunity or that we would be um, saved, that our sons and daughters would be saved. And this great celebration was the exact time. But not only that, I want you to see it in verse 13, uh, chap- chapter 1 of verse 13. It says, Jesus also knew that his time had come. This is the moment. Of all the teaching and all the instruction that Jesus had done and all the healings and miraculous things, this was his moment to shine. This was his moment to demonstrate his love. As a matter of fact, it says, he had loved his own while he was in the world and they were in the world and now he showed them the full extent of his love or he loved them to the very end. Jesus. The evening meal was still being served. Get this, and here's the scene. And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. I want you to think about this now. It's the Passover. It's right before the Passover meal. Jesus is at the table with his disciples, and they're still eating the evening meal. And he knows this whole situation. He knows that these folks that he had come to love and invest in and walk with and disciple and train, and he knew that the enemy of God had gotten into one of their hearts. He saw the whole scenario. I think it's important to recognize that's true before he does anything. We don't follow a God that goes, oops, I had no idea that was coming. We follow a God who sees the big picture clearly, and we're called to do the same. He looked beyond the mere humanity in the room, the mere struggle and suffering, and he says, and he, and he, and he acted, he moved. Why? Jesus knew that the Father had placed all things under his power and that he had come from God and was going back to God so not only did he have a good idea of what was happening in the world he knew who he was and where he was going and what he was about and I would argue that it's only and that brothers and sisters <laughs> hear me <clears throat> that is the moment that um, we truly mature in our life when we can look at situations around us we can see them for what they are and we can recognize who we are and draw our confidence from who we are in God that we can then take bold action and do something and Jesus does here knowing that he has come from God and returning to God and knowing that he's about to be betrayed and knowing that this is the Passover um, meal about to be celebrated he got up he took off his outer clothing 
He wrapped the towel around his waist, and after that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, uh, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I was so funny. This, this imagery usually just strikes fear in the hearts and minds of the people of God. Um, I don't know if you're like me, but every time somebody gets out a bowl like that in a church service and a towel, I'm like, this ain't happening. Does anybody feel that way? You could be honest this church, none of you. Man, every time somebody does it, I'm like, oh, what's I, I didn't sign up for this today. No. But what we see is this is the model of love that Jesus leaves for his people. Paul says, be imitators of me as I am imitating Christ. And we say, yes, because you're a great preacher or a great evangelist or a great orator or you're a great leader or a great thinker. And then we see the model that Jesus gives, and it's of humility and service. What? It's of not counting the wrongs that others have committed against us, not holding them. Jesus takes off his clothes and wraps the towel around his waist, and he goes around to all his disciples, including Judas Iscariot, who he knows that Satan has already chosen to betray him, and he washes their feet. I've not seen too many leadership books written on humility. I don't think I've seen one. Not one. Why does this matter? When he comes to Simon Peter, Simon Peter speaks up and he says, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet, right? And he kind of asks you, like, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Like, this is, this is a servant's job. This is a doorman's job. This is not my Lord's job. He says, Jesus answers this way in verse 7, you don't realize right now what I'm doing, but you will come to understand um, there will come a moment where you will understand what I have done. As a matter of fact, then, um, he says, uh, no way, when he rebukes him again, he refuses him again, and Jesus says this, if I don't wash your feet, if you don't let me serve you, if you don't let me show you love, you have no portion with me. If you aren't comfortable being in a community where this happens, if you aren't comfortable, right, allowing this to happen, you have no part in me. He tells Peter, you don't know what this means right now, but you will come to understand what it means. I wonder what that's about. It seems to me that in this moment of, what did the Bible say, loving them to the end, that he um, is including his disciples in everything that he is. He's including them in his cross. He's including them in his resurrection. He's including them in his life. You and I are part of one another. As a matter of fact, you might say they were of Christ. They were of Jesus, these disciples. In verse 12, the Bible says, when he had finished, he put his clothes on, he went back to his place, and he reclined at the table. And he said, do you understand what I've done? You call me your teacher, and you call me your Lord, and rightly so, because that is who I am. But now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. 
have given you an example, a model, a pattern that you should do just like I have done. Because I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, and nor is a messenger greater than one who sent him. So now that you know these things, listen to the word, you will be blessed if you do. That's the instruction. You will be blessed if you do these things for one another. When I look at that model, to me, it's the exact opposite of my fleshly, jealous, jealousy, strife-filled response. Humility. And it's true for all of us, whether leaders or not. <clears throat> I don't know if um, you know Jesus in that way, and I don't know, and that's a hard thing even to let Jesus in. Um, but I'm going to ask us to pray real quick. Just if God's doing some of your life, you be obedient, and then we're going to continue this morning uh, with a panel discussion. Pray with me if you would. Uh, Father, th today for um, the opportunity you've given us to be washed and cleansed, as your uh, Apostle Peter said, um, to be made clean, uh, we come to you, Father, for that cleaning. If there are those areas that we've been refusing to let you um, san sanitize or purify, we would uh, surrender that to you, that we would um, have a part with you, Father for the ways that maybe we have clung too closely to um, I follow this or I follow that instead of I am part of Christ and Christ as my Lord and uh, Master, my teacher. Uh, we repent of it. We let that go. And Father, we, we um, need you and we believe you. Father, I pray that you would um, show us those areas where we're called to be humble, that we're called to lay, lay it down and, and to just um, love others in your name. Uh, to do what your son did, which is the unthinkable, because he's called to do it, and likewise, because we are called to do it. We give you thanks and praise to the example and the completely countercultural, it's just against everything in our being to be that person or let others be that person to us, and I pray that we'd have the courage to do that work. Uh, may you be glorified as we surrender to you and we seek out your face. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to go ahead and invite the panel group up today. Um, I'm going to get a couple mics ready here while they come. Uh, at the end of this, if you have a question, we'll have a moment or two where you can, uh, we can address those things. Um, I wanted to start, so we had to ask these guys to come up here and chat with us again today. Um, we've done introductions, but uh, I'll do it one more time. This is Lance Carpenter. We've all come to know Lance and love Lance. Um, Matt Young, and then Kristen Wagner. Um, some may not know you, Kristen, so you introduce yourself at all. You are, uh, does everyone know? I mean, go ahead. Come on. Yeah. Um, I'm Kristen. Um, I, I've been almost like two years I've been coming yeah, here yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, help with the youth group. Love it. Yeah. yeah. Come from a, I would say a large family because I'm an only child, but <laughs> a <laughs> few, few sibs. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Good deal. And, and lots of um, time in and around church, I think. Um, so we talked, the questions today, if we, if we uh, remember them, were about kind of being disappointed by leaders. Um, what can we do when someone breaks our trust, uh, whom we trust, or how can we learn to not rely so heavily upon them? Um, and I was going to ask, I want to ask this question. So if you can think of a time that a leader has disappointed you, or maybe you've seen a leader that disappointed others, um, what do you what do you think was at work uh, in those, to the best of your understanding, what was it at work in those situations? Um, I think definitely there's an underlying uh, sentiment of my leader should, should do everything better than me. He should not miss a step because I'm looking up to him. Uh, 
I haven't had a lot of experience in the area. One example I can think of is one church I went to where the pastor um, a few times in, um, invoked some political action that needed to be taken from the pulpit, and that kind of made me a little bit uh, kind of, I don't know, it made me feel a little bit frustrated that because, as we know, political action, either way, um, there's wrongdoing on both sides. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's the only thing that made me a little bit frustrated. But then, again, I need to remember that uh, a leader is, may not have everything together, and so it shouldn't surprise me all the time. Yeah, uh, just a couple times that, like, I haven't had anything, like, super intense, I feel like, but there have been times where I've def definitely been, like, disappointed um, by a leader, but I feel like just giving them the grace to be human, because um, it's so easy to put them on this pedestal of not, they're not supposed to do anything wrong, mm -hmm. but they're still human, and they're still going to fail sometimes. Um, and not being afraid to go to them um, when that happens. Um, and then, because the times that I've done that, it's been really cool to see the way that the Lord has used that to reconcile relationships um, and even to help them grow in their leadership. So, amen. Okay. Um, yeah, I, you know, you see a lot of this happen, certainly in the workplace. But where it's very frustrating to me um, is where we see it in the church. And you asked, what's at play there? And, right. and I believe that everything is spiritual warfare. And so I think the enemy is attacking us internally. And what's frustrating to me sometimes is how we see churches divide and fall apart and collapse and, and do all these things because somebody has let somebody else down or or has uh, frustrated them because of a, a way of believing or a teaching or something like that. And what's frustrating to me is that we, the church, are supposed to be different from the rest of the world. You know, we're supposed to be salt and light. And, and when you see that happening, you, we're not different. You know, we're just like everybody else, just like you were teaching earlier from Corinthians. You know, we are acting as immature Christians when that kind of thing happens. Right. And I think that's what's going on there. And, and what I'm reminded of, uh, again, another scripture in Matthew, um, where Jesus is doing the Sermon on the Mount, if I could just read a little bit here. Um, it's from Matthew 5, uh, 43. It says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, your tribe, mm -hmm. um, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So what that makes me think about, and, and I love what Christian brought up about reconciliation and going and, and talking to people that have offended you or, or wronged you and, and confronting and, and sharing about that, and we always say we need to do that in love, you know, share in love, confront in love, and all that kind of stuff. Well, what does that mean, in love? And I think we kind of gloss over that a lot um, because, frankly, there are people even in our own church body that we don't necessarily get along with or hang out with or buddy up with. You know, we may see, say, you know, that girl, she's 
uh, annoying or, or that guy, he's weird or, or that person, they stink or, or whatever. You know, I mean, there are things about people that we just don't get along with them. So I think that gets in the way of our sharing in love because we don't truly love those people. You know, how do we love the unlovable even amongst our own congregation, our own body? Um, I, I know myself, I've gotten frustrated and said, you know, they just don't get it. And, and here I am imparting a heart attitude on somebody. Right. And that's, that's wrong of me to do that. But it happens. And so I guess what's at work here is spiritual warfare. What's at work here is the flesh not being able to love others the way we're supposed to. And that includes everybody. And if we were able to do that, then we would not look like the rest of the world. That's all right. That was good, though. I think, um, so, my next question, which you led to, Lance, is, um, you kind of said it, you said everything is spiritual warfare, I think is what you said, I could quote you on that, um, because I, my question was, is there, quote, a spiritual application for that, unquote, because that is always one of Lance's lines, and although they met, and Lance and I were talking, and Matt brought that up, he's like, there is a spiritual application to almost everything, um, so is there a spiritual application um, to the, the way we fail each other, um, and how so, and um, is there always something? So I'm trying to think, like, is there ever a situation that we're in where there's not a spiritual application of what's happening in our life? Whether it's a, you said coworkers, a boss, uh, a parent. Um, it's kind of easy to spiritualize in church world. You go, well, yeah, you're the pastor, or whatever. But I mean, how about in real life? Is, it, is there always a spiritual application of what's happening? Yeah, um, obviously, I think there is. Um, but in, in other uh, workplace and things like that, I think that what, what God is doing for us is trying to always show us and demonstrate to us that we need him. Mm. Um, and, and so when we have these failures of relationship in work or in the family, at home, um, you know, within our marriages and everything, when we have those failures, when people fail us and we get, we get disappointed, it's kind of God reminding us, saying, you need me. You know, not that other person, not that other relationship so much as you need me. And I think that's the spiritual application. It's fairly common, is that God is constantly reminding us of that. And, and if we miss that message, then we just kind of continue to plow our way through life in the flesh. Um, but if we recognize that God is trying to, to signal that to us all the time, it helps to draw us close to him uh, more consistently. And so what might, I mean, what does this model that we saw from Jesus, how does that help us in a workplace situation? Like, how would it help us? I mean, do you think it applies there? If you have someone that's disappointed you in leadership or someone over you, like, what is our Christian response? It's hard. My first response is to kind of the you see throughout Proverbs all the wisdom of identifying the foolish people and the people who are, are the evil people who are trying to get you to come along with them and then you, you get them out of your life. That's my first response. You know, or put up the boundaries to keep, keep, um, keep safety. Um, but then Jesus here kind of throws you for a loop and washes Judas' feet, who he knows is about to betray him. Um, so maybe that was a special time, but... It, I don't know, it kind of throws me for a loop there about, especially like workplace applications. Uh, do you 
put up a boundary if someone is repeatedly um, hurting you? Um, I, I would say most cases, yes. And then, but then here's Jesus washing their feet. Um, where have you, so I want you to think a moment about the time that you've seen great leadership in your life, because we've all seen it at some point, I think. Um, where, um, so can you talk a little bit about what that, what markers, uh, did you see in that leadership, and have you ever attempted to imitate that kind of leadership in your own life? I feel like every time I think of, um, great leadership that I've seen in my life, um, I always go um, to my time um, that I spent working at Canacook. Um, and specifically, um, Steve and Linda's son, Chad, um, he is like the greatest leader I've ever seen in my life. Like, and because um, he is someone who serves, as, he is a servant leader. He comes alongside. He doesn't just tell people, do this, do that. He comes alongside and does it with them. Um, and he does just like, he just speaks truth in a way that you know it's coming because he cares for you and not because he's just trying to correct you. or um, But it's because he wants to see you better. Um, and when it's something like that, and Bill and I were just talking about this, I love constructive criticism. Like, that might make me weird, but I love constructive criticism. Um, and it's because when I know that it's coming from someone who wants to see me better, I know I need to be better. Um, and so when it's because they love me and want to see me grow, like, I'm just like, give it, give it to me, please. Like, I want that. Um, and that's just... And so, yeah, it's something I try and model, and I know, like, I fail at it often, but that's, that's what I think of when I think of great leadership. Very good. Open to someone telling you if you're doing something wrong. You should at least listen. You shouldn't just dismiss someone. That's great leadership. Yeah. Um, if you don't know me, um, I come from a military background and uh, spent 27 years in the, in the Coast Guard. And now I work for the Department of Defense, still in the military, surrounded by a military. Has anybody else got military experience? Nobody? Maybe, well, Brittany there, you know. Brittany. <laughs> Has anybody else watched movies <laughs> about the military? Yeah, of course. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, <laughs> not that Hollywood's always right, but you yeah, know. In the military, it's a very hierarchical thing. You know, it, it's a, they, they talk about the chain of command, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and everything has an order, and there's always somebody above you and, and somebody below you, and, and you fit in that regimen somewhere, and it's, it's really hierarchical. And the, the uh, culture in the military is to try and strive to be at the top. So you do all these things to get you up that ladder to be at the top. So that kind of drives into people this notion that it's about you and, 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 and your performance and how you behave and how you react on the battlefield or how you react under pressure, or how you do this, that, and the other thing. And you're, in fact, uh, evaluated based on all the stuff you do. 
And so it kind of creates this culture of it's about me. And, and when you find a leader in the military who says it's not about me, it's about the organization or the team or the unit or whatever, that's a rarity. And, and when you see it, it just shouts out as something different and it's usually successful. I mean, they usually do quite well. Um, so for me, it, it's, it's easy to see when there's a departure from the norm. Um, and, and I think the church and Jesus sets the example for us, not just in the church, but everywhere. And if we use that example, uh, we will normally meet with success just about everywhere. Um, so, so I guess the key is it's not about me. Um, you know, it's about something else. And I love the last scripture you shared from Corinthians there. Uh, you know, do everything as unto the Lord. Right. And, uh, and the servant leader certainly is a, is a successful one. Which is a really funny thing to go back to Matt's point about the fools and no, don't, don't suffer fools kind of idea. Um, it says have no part with them, and yet you think there must be some kind of response we can have um, as uh, to uh, serve or love them without having part with them, to demonstrate grace to them or uh, uh, you know, a model that's different to them. I just think about, um, I've seen some like embattled leaders before in, uh, in a non-church context. And it's amazing to me that if you just, if, if you go in and are just graceful in that moment, they're people. So you said it about pastors, right? Leaders, but like everyone, we're just, we're just people. And to demonstrate like an ounce of grace seems to bring about um, a, a softer heart or a more repentant, not always, you know, but it can. And I think that that's always a good witness. Um, because I'm thinking about what we, because you, you see Jesus always convert moments into opportunities to serve. Our moments, we didn't see a lot of that separation stuff, you know. Um, we've seen him kind of um, submitting or serving in that way. So I was just trying to flesh that out a little bit about what, what you can really do in real life. And maybe God's brought something to mind this morning for someone here. Um, I kind of had, I heard a little bit about imitating those leaders. Um, so, Here's my last question. How does humility then and the cross of Jesus make us better and more accountable leader followers of Jesus? I'll ask that again. How, how does humility and the cross of Christ um, make us uh, more accountable? And I called it leader followers, but you know, we're doing both. I really like this. I really like the scripture where Paul was saying that he does not even judge himself. Um, he's not worried about other people judging him when he's leading. His conscience is clear. Uh, that's, got, that's some serious freedom right there. If you can lead without worrying about stepping on toes with a clear conscience of what God has called you to do and uh, knowing that you will answer to God. It's not like you're disregarding authority, but you are knowing that what God has called you to do, the, the way that you're supposed to live and conduct yourself, you're accountable to him for that. And you're going to do that the best you know how. And I really like that, looking at it from that big perspective. Right. Uh, yeah, to be honest, uh, some of the stuff that you were sharing this morning, Bill, seemed kind of contradictory okay. to me. Sure. Um, you know, Paul is saying, I don't care what people think. I don't care what, what I think. Um, and yet, at the same time, you have to be concerned that you're not um, causing a stumbling block, you know, right. like you shared later on. So. So, you know, what's the balance there? And, and what, how are we supposed to react to that? 
And it occurs to me that one, this is a team sport. You know, we're in this together. And uh, in fact, I can recall uh, one instance where I had, had said or done something that was offensive to someone, but I didn't know that. I didn't, I didn't realize that. I didn't know that I'd caused any problem. But I had a brother who came alongside me and said, you know, you may not be aware of this, but there's some friction now in your relationship. And, and I didn't know that. So that allowed me to go to that person and, and, and uh, apologize and repent and, and, and see that you know, there was no misunderstanding. So it's a team sport. We need mm -hmm. to kind of be in this together for each other. Uh, but again, you know, we, we may not care about what other people think, but we still need the Holy Spirit to inform us when we're stepping us astray, when we're out of line, when we're being a stumbling block to other people. Um, so it's, it's kind of a, a tightrope we have to walk, essentially, uh, which again points us to the fact that we need Christ, we need the Holy Spirit, because we can't walk that tightrope on our own. So uh, it, it can be uh, confusing, it can seem contradictory sometimes, but it's just indicative that it's complex, it's, uh, it's convoluted, it's, it's confusing, and we need Christ. So. And I feel like um, as far as like whether you are in a leadership role or you're a follower, or more often than not, in some way you're both, um, ultimately we are submitting to God. Um, and I think when we remember that, that's humbling in itself, mm -hmm. is that it's not about us. Like, it's our ultimate submission to the Lord. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which kind of ties in what Lance was saying about doing everything as unto the Lord, because how you do to the Lord, you, sub you submit. And I love, one of the things, I love the thing about the mirror. I don't, I don't even judge myself, Paul says, which I think, I think sometimes leaders are their own worst critics. Um, and I also know there's real power being wielded there that's kind of terrifying sometimes because you don't even want that. You don't want people to bring that. Bring, you know, like I've, I know, I know, I pick on you, Lance, but I remember when we installed you as a leadership team member years ago, you said, I'm going to disappoint you. <laughs> and you're the first leader that ever said that. And you said, when it happens, know that it's not my desire to disappoint you, but it's gonna, there's going to come a time we fail each other. And... Um, but I love that Jesus, when he teaches about the washing of the feet, which is, um, is, is an act, it's a real humbling act, but it's also a symbolic act. He says, now that you know, you're going to be blessed if you do it. And, and you read from Matthew 5, which is where blessed are, right? The Sermon on the Mount. And the, the word blessed means happy. And isn't it ironic if the very thing that would lead to our happiness, serving others, not being a stumbling block, not having, not being puffed up and prideful, not being quarrelsome, we resist because we have this desire to be fleshly and puffed up, you know, and we don't get what we want. I think that's really powerful that, that Jesus is like, if you, I mean, it's a very clear instruction. A matter of fact, it says when, I think I looked it up, it said, uh, to set the example meant um, to make it very plain how simple it is to do this. <laughs> you know, Jesus is like, here's how easy it can be. Wash one another's feet. Be gracious to one another, you know. Uh, have a part with one another. Um, so that, that's our model. I do agree also, and not to say, but I, I think that I love what Kristen said, that it's um, both. We are always following and we're always leading. And no matter where you are in that right now in your life, like I don't know if you believe that, but people are watching. And that's not to put false pressure on your sister to recognize it. So let's be excellent. 
Let's be excellent leaders where God has us. Um, I think, and that would be an encouragement to everyone, the whole community. So, do we have any uh, questions? Our very last opportunity, IRL. Yes, Miss Brooke. Right on. So the question is: Is have there been times where you are led by a younger person that you don't see as foolishness, but God's divine leadership? Uh, first off, uh, older does not mean wiser. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not a given. Um, but I, I think that 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 can be a very uh, a humbling experience in and of itself when you recognize yeah. that someone who's younger than you actually has it more together than you do. I mean, that can be humbling. That's happened to me. Um, but I think the key to that is to recognize godliness. Yeah. I mean, if you just recognize godliness and understand what that looks like, if you know what God's nature is and you know what that looks like, wherever you see it, you will gravitate to it. And, and it won't matter so much that they're younger or, um, you know, that they wear different clothes or that they, um, you know, behave differently or live in a different part of town or uh, that their skin is a different color or that they have hair that's different from yours. It won't matter. If we understand and recognize what godliness is and looks like, we will gravitate to that. And, and if that's what we truly desire, and that, that's, that's another thing. And, you know, it says, it said at the end of that uh, scripture in Matthew, it says, therefore be perfect as I am perfect. Do we really desire that? Right. You know, do we truly desire to be perfect as God is? If we don't really desire it, we're not going to seek after it. We won't pursue it. Uh, but if we really do truly desire it, and I would, I would challenge everybody to pray for that. Pray for that desire. Pray for that kind of a heart. Um, because if you have it, then it won't matter where it comes from, and we won't get as bogged down or caught up in that. I don't know if that answers the question or not, but it's an awesome uh, thing. Anybody else want to take a shot of that, or older, younger? I will say, too, that uh, just because someone is younger, they might be gifted in ways that really help you learn, yeah. um, that you're not gifted. I've definitely come across people that are younger than me that are gifted in things that I'm, or things that I have no experience with or don't come easily, and so I can learn from that. Right, and I would actually I'll also add to that that I think that this is where humility serves us well because if we're puffed up, we can't have someone younger than us doing better than us. We can't. But if you're really humble, I think you can celebrate that and you can be instructed by that. I, I, and I know, I'm not speaking for myself, like I've been in awe of the ways that other people have led me and I am blessed by it and I thank God for it. I'm never like, oh, I mean, that's such a bad attitude. I'm not saying I have the right attitude all the time, but I'm saying that's a fleshly tendency to be jealous of that rather than be like, wow, that's awesome that God has equipped you that way or whatever. So I think it's really, it exhorts me to be better, but also thank God that he's got people in my life that are better, (laughs) that I can model after. So any other questions? That's a great question though. I love that. Need to step up. Yeah. Yeah, we always use that with Timothy, right? Let no one look down on you because you're young, right? right. But set an example. I mean, yeah, exhort the older generation. This is how it should be. Yeah, we love that. All right, cool. Well, um, 
I want to uh, pray again, but before we do, I want to thank all of our uh, panelists, not just today, but over all this time. It's not been easy to come up here. Um, I, I said it every Sunday, and I hope you understand that there was a lot of people working on the backside of this. Um, the scriptures that we preached through for the last several, several weeks, meaning the IRL series, were all offered by the IRL team. That's not a joke. Um, examining God's word, considering the questions, and uh, I think it would be uh, silly not to recognize and give God thanks for leadership in that way, because that was... That was bold, creative leadership, I think, to um, invest all that time in something that may or may not come to fruition in, in the way that we'd expect. Um, so thanks for all those who've been involved in this process. Thanks for everyone who submitted a question. Um, and I would even say it's not over, like, um, IRL series is over, and now some people are bummed about it, and other people aren't. But um, if there's real life, like, I'm thinking Family Bible Church forever said, real people, real worship, real faith, you know, like, if there's real life stuff, that's what we want to talk about. And so don't ever be afraid of that. Um, grab somebody here at the church, grab somebody in your small group, your family group, your Bible study, your, your coffee buddy, and say, man, I really have a problem with this issue or whatever, and examine God's word. Um, we're trying to do two things at once here, I think. We're trying to model behavior, and then we're trying to do the behavior, and uh, that's what we've tried to do through this series. So praise God for all the faithfulness demonstrated throughout the series. Um, I want to pray one more time, and then uh, we will uh, continue in worship today together. Uh, Father God, we do come before you today, giving you thanks and praise for the work that you've done. Um, we do thank you for every uh, moment, every challenge, every question, every heart, every desire, every opportunity you've given us um, to just reflect your glory. Uh, we thank you for your word that gives us instructions for life, and we thank you for the mind um, to uh, understand the capacity, not just our, our, not our physical, but the spiritual realization of who you are, that you, do, you reveal yourself to us where we are. Um, in ways that we can understand. And then we pray, Father, a prayer of um, continued oneness with you, um, that we would be united with you in every way and be, glorified, uh, be glorifying to you in every way in our lives. Help us do that. Help us to follow this model that Jesus gave us of servant leadership, of, of, of we know we're not better than Jesus. We know we're not better than Jesus, and, and yet we want to follow him. We want to be more like him. We want to be perfect like he is perfect. Help us do that work in our lives um, in freedom and enjoy. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.